This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, 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 I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. Brian is away this week, but we've got a really special treat. We're being joined by Dom. I'm going to try this. Lucician? Is that close? Kind of. Not really. Uh, I was thinking Brian mentioned something like maybe like Curtis Lecision. So I was trying to go with that, but it sounds like it's not right. That's what people defer to usually, but it's not correct. Um, it's Lucician. Lucician. There's like a yeah. ch there. All right, yeah, maybe I should have asked you before we started recording. That's fine. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm not the only one. But Dom's been part of Hockey Twitter since debuting as OMG, it's Domi. And now he's at Dom Luchition, which is probably going to be hard to search for, but you could probably just search on Twitter for at Dom Hockey and you could find him there. He's developed a stat called Game Score, which we've talked about on the show before and we'll hit on again today. He's a, currently a writer for The Athletic and he has a bunch of great articles. He also has a full set of player projections for the upcoming season that are available for only $5 and we'll definitely dig into them for the majority of the interview. So much to talk to you about, Dom! Where do you want to start? Okay, well, right before we start, let's just mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. I just realized that Dauber Hockey has up-to-date line combinations for the preseason. You can actually see who's been playing with who during the preseason. I don't think you can find that anywhere else, or at least I haven't been able to. So I'm finding it very interesting to see that, you know, Nick Schmaltz is playing on a line with Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit. Maybe that's information that could help you in your draft. Maybe we could talk about that later, Dom. Anyways, okay, let's get started. I guess I want to save the projections for, like, our main course. So maybe we can do a bit of an appetizer first and talk about game score, which I find really interesting. Like, you invented a stat! Uh, I don't know if I, had, I I stole a stat from another sport, but it wasn't in hockey, so I guess you can say I invented it, or I was smart enough to steal it first. Well, hey, can you explain like what your motivation was for it and like what it actually measures? Um, my motivation was that I got super into basketball uh, two seasons ago. Um, I'm from Toronto, so the Raptors were in the third round, and I got to see them play LeBron and. LeBron is a god, and I just got really into it. And then he beat the Cavs almost, or the the Warriors almost single handedly. And so I was reading up a lot about LeBron and how great he was. And I stumbled on a couple of five thirty eight articles where they mentioned something called Game Score, and I'm like, hmm, what is this? And I'm like, wow, we don't have anything like this in hockey, so maybe I can apply it. And so I basically 
took the a similar methodology to what was in basketball, try to get the same presentation going. So I wanted it to be to mimic points the same it was in basketball, so it'd be easy to understand. And uh, I guess that's about it. And so you're basically trying to figure out like how viable a player was in a particular game. What factors go into your game score for NHL? Yeah, so I want to do which players were good in a game. Um, so I looked at goals, assists, primary and secondary shots, block shots, Corsi, five on five goal differential, faceoffs, all these basic box score stats that we look at separately. But I wanted to, I guess, find a smart way to combine them all so that when you see a player who was plus five in Corsi but didn't have any points, how does that? compared to someone who had an assist, a couple shots, but maybe was stuck in their end more often than not. Yeah, that makes sense. So obviously not just going with typical goals and assists, like most hockey fans go to rate their players. You're looking into all these deep stuff happening in the game. I'm curious, were there any results you found that were surprising, like players that generally have a high game score, like higher than we generally expect them to be when just looking at their goals and assists? And I guess on the opposite side, players who are actually less effective than a lot of us think they are? It was interesting. I had an interesting summer because I posted an article rating star players on every team. And I guess there were a lot of people who disagreed with certain places, but I was basically doing a projection. So I was looking towards the future. I was age adjusting. I was using last three seasons, but like a player for my projections that looks a bit lower this year is Jamie Ben, And that's because he was injured last year and he wasn't at a hundred percent. So he looks a little lower. Um, Someone like Vincent Trocek on Florida looks incredibly high, and that's because he plays upwards of like 21 minutes a night. He plays all situations. He gets shots. He influences possession. And he's just a great underrated two-way player that not many people know about because he plays in Florida. There are issues that I know of that I mention a lot. Like playmakers get underrated a lot because game score counts shots, but not shot assists. So someone like Ryan Getzlaff or Nicholas Backstrom, they pass the puck a lot, but they don't shoot as much. They're pass first, so they look a little lower. And on the other side of that, someone like Victor Arvidsson, who had like 250 shots, gets credit for those shots. And maybe Ryan Johansson doesn't as much because he's the primary playmaker between Arvidsson and Forsberg. Oh, that's interesting. Is that a stat that's even tracked anywhere? Shot assists? It is tracked by hobbyists, not officially by the NHL because the NHL is a backwards league but uh ryan stimson he like a couple years ago maybe a few years ago he started something called the passing project where he got a bunch of trackers and they would watch games and they would track assists to shots just in a bunch of different ways and it was just really illuminating information um i remember at the start of last year when alex wenberg was lighting it up he was gloating a bit and he's like if you were looking into the shot assist, you would know that Wenberg is a primary driver of that. He's a great playmaker. So it wasn't as surprising looking at those numbers, but the NHL doesn't track those, unfortunately. Yeah, that sounds actually like a very useful stat because obviously most shots don't go in and that's why we're tracking things like on-ice shooting percentage and, you know, number of shots and shot attempts and all of that. But yeah, we don't actually know who's passing to the guy taking the shot often. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't actually know that that was, that would be really useful. So, okay, so you're saying, for example, Vincent Trocek is maybe underrated, like he has a really high game score compared to what people think of him. Is that something that helps us in fantasy? Like, does that make you think that Trocek is bound for a breakout next year or is it kind of unrelated? Um... 
Yes and no. I had a lot of people in my own league who follow me on Twitter and like, oh, I'm going to draft this guy. I'm going to, should I keep Trocek over, like one of my friends said, should I keep Vincent Trocek now? I see how high he's ranked here. I'm like, we don't count Corsi in our league. So, I mean, if you want, but I wouldn't suggest it. Like there's things in game score that aren't fantasy relevant. Um, it could illuminate players who are good and who might fall under the radar and who could have a breakout. Like maybe Trocek has 60 point upside because He's always in the offensive zone, but you still have to take into account that he does all these good things that don't necessarily show up on the game sheet or on the score sheet, and that means he's not as viable as someone else who might not be as good. Right, that makes sense. I would think maybe your game scores would be really useful for maybe projecting goalies in terms of if the team has a lot of players with high game scores, maybe that's a sign that the team will do well, which means the goalie will get more wins. And I see you did a whole season preview series on The Athletic, like you said, like ranking every single team and all the players on the team. I'm interested to know if you had any surprises there. Like, are there any teams that people are thinking are going to be really great that maybe you think won't be as good and then vice versa teams that, you know, people are thinking are going to be garbage, but you're seeing some hope that they could actually surprise people? Uh, the previews have been really fun because from my point of view, there is one really, there's one amazing team, one really good team, 25 teams that are okay, and then seven teams that are absolute garbage. Wow. So yeah, I think a lot of people assume that there's a lot more really good teams. What was it again? One amazing, one really good, and then... And then just a cluster of teams that are like good enough to make the playoffs, but if they miss the playoffs, I would genuinely not be surprised. Interesting. Okay, can I try to guess? Uh, well, I don't know. It's kind of cheating if you've been paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everyone right now that I'm writing about are teams that look good, but not like bonafide contenders. Like I have the one amazing team is Pittsburgh at the top, and then I have Washington. This is spoiler alert for anyone who's following. I'm sorry, but uh, I have Pittsburgh first, then Washington second, and then a gigantic pile of teams all the way to Buffalo, Arizona, and then the bottom five of Colorado, Vegas, Vancouver, Detroit, New Jersey. So if I did not list your team, you're in the hunt. You're in the hunt. Um, you might make the playoffs. You might not. Who knows? That's hockey. <laughs> so you're saying like you're putting Buffalo in the same category as a team as like St. Louis or Anaheim? Not in the same category because in that gigantic middle, there are tiers. Like, Buffalo is right at the bottom. They're, like, on the cusp with, like, 88 points. And Anaheim and St. Louis are sort of in the middle around, like, 94. So there's a big, bigger gap between them. But I think I have a huge cluster of teams. How many teams do I got here? I have 15 teams that are between 96 and 93 points. That's three points of difference. So, But they're basically almost indistinguishable when you factor in the margins of error. Right, yeah, one shootout or a couple shootouts go a different way, and then that could change who gets in the playoffs and not. It's actually interesting that you said Washington. I know a lot of people lately have been talk, like kind of discounting Washington and saying they're not going to be as good. You know, they lost Johansson and Williams and Nate Schmidt and I guess Shattenkirk for the short time they had him. You're not as concerned about them losing all of these players? Uh, the thing with Washington is that... They used to be the only team on Pittsburgh's level, and now, because they lost all those players, they're not. Um, I had them a bit lower until I saw in training camp they were giving some younger guys a chance, um, especially on the defense, which looked really weak. But if they get... I, like, I looked at Christian Deuce's stats, or whatever his name is. Um, he looked really good in the AHL last year, so I put him in, and he brought Washington up it, instead of someone like Taylor Chorney, who looks terrible. And if he makes the team instead, then Washington would drop a bit. But 
they were at such a high point before all those moves that they had room to make those errors and they'll still be good. They won't be as good as the year last year or the year before that, but they should be fine still, I think. Okay, well, it sounds like you're thinking that they'll still be one of the top teams in the league after Pittsburgh. And it, and it makes sense. Like, I'm interested, actually, in the Washington defense. Is it now John Carlson's spot, do you think, for the top power play quarterback? Like, and he's, is he going to have a big bounce back in fantasy? Or are you thinking that his job is ripe to be taken, considering last year they traded for a different guy to take his job? Uh, I'm not sure how they view Niskanen or... Orlov or Juice or Bowie in that role, but I do think it's Carlson's to lose. Um, one of the things I changed in my projection this year was I tried to make a decent estimate of power play time because last year, two of the biggest breakouts were uh, Marshawn and Pasternak in Boston. And if you paid attention to their numbers in previous years, they were incredible, but they got like zero power play time. And last year, I think they were on the first unit. So if you account for that, you can kind of guess that they'll have a bigger jump than maybe expected. Right, if you know which players are going to get that bump in power play time. I guess in Washington, there's clearly an open spot. Johansson was always on power play one, and now he's not. Who do you see as the one currently in line to take that job? I guess Kuznetsov was on power play two for most of the year last year, if I recall correctly. So maybe it's just him. Uh, I don't know, because if they wanted Kuznetsov there, they'd have him there. Kuznetsov rolling the power play is similar to Backstrom's, where he's setting people up. I don't think he's, like, Washington, it's not about skill on their top power play i mean all their best players are there but it's about fit especially because johansson was the guy down low in the net front and i think the guy that might fit that role this year is andre burakovsky who i think has the biggest breakout potential of anyone in the league this year Right, yeah, you actually had an article, which I read recently, about players who have the most breakout potential. And yeah, I saw him at the top of your list. Any others you want to give the listeners as a quick tease, like players who you think are going to have a huge increase in their power play time and are going to surprise? Oh my, I feel like I'm spacing on who I just wrote about. I've written so many words this week that I, I can't remember who's on there. Um, I know I really like Travis Konechny, but it looks like for some reason, Philadelphia is putting Philpula on the power play. Don't draft Philpula. He's terrible. They also had Oscar Lindblom, who's a rookie, in that spot for a few preseason games. And one of the people in my fantasy league is a huge Flyers fan. And I checked the league uh, last night. And, of course, he's already picked up Oscar Lindblom. Of course. He's already done that. Is it a really deep league? Or do you think it was, like, a huge reach? It's not. No, uh, well, our draft was done on Labor Day, so he's right now scouring the waiver wire, and I guess he has got a lot of hopes about Lindblom. He was, I remember four years ago when Goss's Bear was called up, he asked me to if he could pick him up because he wasn't in the system yet. ESPN did not recognize Goss's Bear as a real hockey player yet, and this guy's like, I need to pick him up. He just got called up. I'm like, Sure, whatever. And he didn't get any points. He only played one NHL game. And then the next season, he did the same thing. And then he had that huge, like, 45-point season. Yeah, that's amazing. He he probably looked like a genius if he got Ghost Bear right when he got called up. I guess it was when Mark Strait got injured. And then he uh, that was his job after that. What do you think for this year now on the Philly defense? Is it still Ghost Bear's job to lose? I know a lot of people are concerned that Provorov might steal it. Uh, there's definitely some competition there. I think I saw that Ghost Bear still has it and Provorov will start on the second unit. But I mean, if Ghost Bear doesn't bounce back to where he was in his rookie season, then I feel like Provorov might be able to steal it because I know the Flyers are really high on him. 
Okay, and I guess, so let's go back to your team scorings here before we get into our full projection talk, which I know everyone's really excited about. So you mentioned a bunch of teams in your bottom, like New Jersey and and Colorado, and I guess like Arizona maybe. Like, who would you say is a team that a lot of people see as a bottom barrel team, like no chance to make the playoffs that you think could actually surprise people? Um... Does Carolina count? I feel like everyone knows they're good now. It's not. It's no longer like a secret. But I think they could definitely make the playoffs. Um, yeah, we had Steve Laidlaw on the podcast around a month ago, and he was saying how he thinks that Scott Darling is going to be like a top ten fantasy goalie this year. He was really high on Carolina. I drafted Darling with my one of my last picks because I'm like I'm not going to waste time on a goalie. Um, in, our, in my league, there's only one starting goalie spot, and it's a keeper league, so I already kept um, Tuka Rask. So I'm like, I don't care about the second goalie. I'm just going to take a flyer on Darling, and maybe someone else will step up. Because I remember last year, Bobrovsky wasn't drafted in our league, and then he was just sitting there on waivers. Oh, wow. um, Yeah, so now he's a keeper. Um, another team that might surprise... I don't think the Panthers are as bad as a lot of people think they are. Like, they're still not good, but... I mean, they have some elite players up front, and they have a pretty deep defense, and their goalies are still good. So I think they could be fine and could sneak in as like a ninth place team. Like they're in that range. They're not that good, but I think they'll be competitive at least. Right. Well, I saw you had Dadanov as one of your potential breakout players this year, and obviously, if he plays with Barkov and Huberdeau, that would be huge. And then, what about in nets? Like, what do you are you? Would you suggest for people to pick one of the Florida goaltenders? I don't even know who it would be that's going to be the starter in net. I definitely my main philosophy in life is wait as long as possible for a goalie because there aren't many that are actually trustworthy, and I still probably don't want to waste a high pick on those trustworthy goalies. There's always a guy. Because there's always a surprise team, right? Someone that is supposed to be a bottom 10 team and then suddenly they're a playoff team. And it's usually because they're goalie. So there's a goalie who's going to be ready, uh, available in like the 15th round. That'll probably be a top 10 goalie. And you don't know who it is, but it's probably better to take a risk on one of those goalies. Yeah, I saw in your article about how to draft the best team. That was one of your sections was avoid goalies. I mean, if you're in a league that counts a lot of goalie stats, you're still saying like, wait until what, like the 15th, 20th goalie picked? Like, I'd be interested to hear you elaborate on this strategy because you could get killed if you don't have good goalies. You could get killed, but I mean, I feel like a lot of, if you're playing a category league, which you should not, um, there, as you feel like there are like six categories for skaters and four for goalies, you can probably sweep the skater categories and then like win one goalie category by like sheer luck and you'll be fine. But you should still be able to find a good goalie late because... They're a very volatile and hard to predict position. Your first goalie, you should take not too early, but like you should at least get like a, an above average starter. Your second goalie, if you have a if you have two goalie spots, um, I don't think matters as much. Interesting. Yes, yeah, so you're saying maybe punt wins a little bit, give up on that category, and hope that you can get lucky with save percentage and goals against average or whatever on those mm. weeks, and then you'll just have really good skaters because you waited to pick the goalies. Yeah. Interesting. Well, actually, it, it might bear true. Like, I actually did a Fantrax Cash League a couple of weeks ago, and I waited on goalies, and it's a weekly league with two goalie spots. So you need to play two goalies a week. And I actually waited, I think it was around the 15th goalie taken when I took my first and I got Ben Bishop, and then I waited for another round, and it was like, I think five other goalies went, and then I got Henrik Lundqvist really late. And you're right, like, who knows? Maybe they will end up being two of the better goalies in the league. It is really hard to predict. I guess once you go past guys like Matt Murray, if you're saying on a team that's going to be the only really amazing team in Pittsburgh, maybe he's a guy you can rely on and maybe a Carey Price. But after that, I, I, I think I agree with you. And we sort of got into that in our 
more goalies Borg episode a couple of weeks ago where Brian and I both had a bunch of goalies in our third tier. But there were some, but I guess even like guys like last year, like Bobrovsky and Talbot were so great and they, no one was really having them high on their radar going into last season. Yeah, I remember Talbot and Bobrovsky, I think, were like, their average draft position was like in the 150s, 160s. So that could happen just as well this year. Like, I think a team like Winnipeg might be a lot better than people expect this year. And if Steve Mason takes most of the starts and plays like he did two years ago, then you have a really good fantasy goalie who will probably get a lot of wins. Now, that one might not be a great example because he has some competition with Hellebuck, but like those are the things you should be thinking about that there might be a very underrated team and goalie as a result available late. Yeah, and of course, it's like, sure, you can say, oh, I'd rather have Bobrovsky this year than, I don't know, Jake Allen, but you also have to consider which player you're giving up, which skater you're giving up to draft Bobrovsky early instead of getting Jake Allen, but maybe having a skater who's going to get you like 10, 20 more points. I like Mm -hmm. this strategy. Okay, but you did say something there that I don't want to pass over when you were mentioning that if people play in category leagues, they're doing it wrong. I guess I have a confession. We're running the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patreon Fantasy League, and we use categories. So why do you say that using categories isn't the way to go? I want to know. We could always adjust for next year. Um, I don't want to be harsh by any means, but I think categories in hockey is a terrible way to run a fantasy hockey league. Um. There aren't that many categories that are important enough that they should be equal. If you're in a category league and like, let's say a standard league where you have goals, assists, power play points, shots, plus minus penalty minutes. The fact that you're ranking penalty minutes as important as goal, a goal or assist is just bonkers to me. Like, I don't know why anyone would do that willingly. And that's why I think a points league where you weight each category by how important it is and also throw penalty minutes and plus minus into the sun like my league is like i try i look at fantasy football which everyone loves and i think it's pretty simple yards touchdowns that's what's important so what's important in hockey goals assists shots power play points if you want a little bonus on where the point came from but i feel like it's just best to keep it simple because there aren't that many categories that are actually important enough that they should be equal like goals and assists equal to plus minus like it just increases randomness in your league there's no point having plus minus and there's definitely no point making it equal to actual points okay yeah i hear you and definitely yeah plus minus like game winning goals these categories that are hard to predict obviously we're 100 percent with you in the couple okay i'll make a counter argument just because i'm curious to hear what you say so we're doing goals assists shots power play points blocks so five skater categories and then a couple goalie categories wins and save percentage i feel like the one argument i like for categories is it makes it maybe more strategic when you're ranking your free agents and deciding who to pick up like if it's just like one number what's this guy's like average number of fantasy points over the past few months you know you're sort of looking okay i guess i want the guy who's i think is going to get the most points but i feel like there's an extra dimension to it if you have to think of oh i guess maybe i'm good in assists but i'm not doing well for shots so maybe should i you know and also in making a trade like should i give up an assist guy for a shots guy any merit there or do you think we're just out of our minds i understand why but i still feel like you should be looking at the entire picture even in those category trades where i understand you're you're looking that assists are fine, so you want to get maybe a guy who gets shots, but like I just feel like that doesn't make logical sense from a fantasy perspective. You should want the best player, and that should be weighted by how good they are at the most important things. 
Okay, that's right. That's actually on the top of our list of things. Every year we like to tinker with our league rules, so maybe that'll be the big thing we change going into the following season. But okay, so let's get into the main event now, your projections you made. So it's like crazy. Not only did you come up with raw projections, like a lot of people do, like Scott Cullen just released his projections of like, you know, goals, assists, shots, penalty minutes, like a whole bunch of things for all the players in the league. You did the same, but it's also you've got this spreadsheet where people can input their, you know, league settings, and then it ranks the players based on league settings. I'd love to know like in a brief rundown the best you can how do you rank players given their projections and league settings how does that whole mix come together to spit out player rankings uh well one of the concepts i've i stole from learning about fantasy football three years ago when i was just starting was i didn't know any players so i'm like okay how do i do this and one of the concepts was value over replacement so how do you rank players at different positions when they get different amounts of points is you rank them compared to a baseline player. So a quarterback may get the most points, but there's a lot of quarterbacks, good quarterbacks available and they don't, you know, there's, you only need one and they don't get drafted very early. So you have to take all those things into consideration. That's why people draft running backs earlier, wide receivers earlier, or maybe a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who's just that far ahead of everyone else that he, merits a second or third round pick so i feel like it's the same thing in hockey where you need to decide do you draft a winger do you draft a center maybe even a defenseman who there are a lot of defensemen that people might not take with a top pick but maybe they should because they're just that much better than other defensemen and they're good enough forwards you can get later that you just create a balance and that's why i think ranking them over replacement players to just get a blend of which positions you need and how good everyone is relative to each position is what makes the most sense. And the other thing is that you'll see rankings from people and they apply to standard leagues. And I think hockey is a place where everyone's league is just a little different. So you need rankings that tailor to your league. That's a great thing about this thing is that there are categories. Well, I don't have all the categories because I said I'm not projecting plus minus or penalty minutes. That's a you job, not a me job. I'm not doing that. But it's just better to know how good the player is because they might get a lot of points. Like, say, Mark Shifley, he gets he could get 75 to 80 points, but he actually doesn't get that many shots. So if shots are important in your league, you might want to bump Shifley down because he's not as good as advertised there. He also doesn't get top power play time, so he doesn't get those power play points either. So there's all those things to consider, and that's why you need projections for every category in your league and not just go by, okay, well, this guy gets the most points, so I'm going to draft him. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. It's, it's so handy. I just put in exactly what, you know, if you even wrote in the thing I like, you said, like, if you use a categories league, you're doing it wrong, but you still did give the ability to put in your scoring for a points league or a categories league and you just say what's counted and then, and for points leagues, how much each thing is for. And then all of a sudden, oh, and I also like how you have this input for how many positions over replacement for each position. So I guess this is to help you account for your league roster settings. I guess if you only need to roster one goalie, then goalies become a lot less valuable. I guess that's how it's going to work. Work? Yeah, that's definitely it. But the way I set it up was I looked at my last draft and I saw, well, for the default one, I just looked at Yahoo and I'm like, hey, how many were drafted in the top 100? And I put that down. But when I was drafting my own team, I looked at my draft from last year and I saw how many defensemen were taking, taken in like maybe the top six rounds or so, how many goalies. And then I sort of went from there and I tinkered a little. There's not like an exact science. It's definitely a lot of tinkering, but you have to look at how other managers in your league draft and 
cater your strategy to that to try to make an effective ranking based on how many players are drafted at each position usually. Okay, so getting into your specifics, so not only do you have this whole template to put in projections, but you actually also provide projections themselves. So I'd love to get into how you went into projecting these players, and then we could talk about some specific players that I want to ask you about. But what are the ingredients that go into your projections? What stats do you use to try to decide how many goals and assistant points you think the player is going to get next season? Uh, my projections are actually super simple in that literally anyone could have done this. And um, if you know how to work Excel, you can probably literally copy my projections, do them a little differently maybe, and input them into this spreadsheet and just say, I love the spreadsheet, hate your projections, uh, here's mine. The way I did it was uh, I read a lot about Marcel projections, which is basically very simple. You just wait the last three seasons. Most recent season is weighted heaviest. Next season is weighted a little bit less, third season the least. And I looked at, when I was building this last year, I looked at the 10 years before. And for each stat, I looked at how important three years ago was, how important two years ago was, and how important last year was. And I got a weight for each season. So, for example, goals, let's say last year is weighted at 0.5, the year before 0.3, year before 0.2. And then I put that together to get how many goals I expect for this player. The other part is that it needs to be regressed because some players have a smaller sample size. So someone like Patrick Laine, who didn't play, who only has one season under his belt, he needs to be regressed because you can't just expect his rookie season. At the same time, I have an age adjustment so that someone like Patrick Laine, who did amazing at 18, maybe we expect him to do a little better because he's still extremely young, while... A guy like Ryan Getzlaff, if I didn't have an age adjustment, I think I'd have him for 75 points. And because he's old and he might decline, that drops him down to like 70. Wow, so so much going into it. I'm so curious now, actually, about what you were saying about how you were waiting for each category, how much like the last year is worth versus the previous year and the year before that. What are some categories where you only kind of need to look at the last year? Are there categories like that where you can kind of ignore all the previous years before that? I don't think I have any that are like that, but I feel like shots are definitely a stat that's really repeatable. So if you look at how they shot last year, that's usually a better barometer for it. Goals and assists, they tend to be volatile because percentages get a little wonky. So I feel like the last three years is definitely something you need to be looking at. But obviously, the season before is important. I do remember the one thing I forgot to mention is that players obviously change their time on ice projections. So I looked at depth charts from fantasy guides, from online resources to see if someone moved up. So, for example, Andre Burkowski, who I think will break out this year, played only like 13 minutes a night, but he'll be in the top six this year. So maybe you bump that up to top six ice time around 16 and a half, 17 minutes, and then that bumps up his entire projection because they're based on points per minute. So how I move time on ice projection affects their I guess, entire point projection. Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's so interesting. So basically, for each player, you're sort of breaking it down into how many goals, almost like per minute. And so then you could look at how much ice time they had last year and then just input if you think they're going to have more ice time, then that will just automatically raise them up. I was going to ask, like, how do you account for players who are having increased roles? Sounds like you've answered it. Wow, so much goes into it in this age adjustment. What's the premium age, would you say? Like, where's the age where if they were younger, you would bump them up, but if they were older, you would start moving them down for the following year? From 18 to 24, they get bumped up. Um, 25 to like 27, they like stay consistent. 
Um, actually, probably like 18 to 23, and then 23 to 27. And then anything after 27, they start going a little down. So if you bought these projections and saw that Sidney Crosby is a bit lower than expected, that might be one of the reasons. But there's an issue with that, and that's this age adjustment is one size fits all. And that may not be true for players who are amazing, like Crosby, who might be able to defy the logic of age for a little longer than expected. Yeah, well, didn't Yarmer Yager get in the 60-point range a couple years ago and he was above 40? So obviously, yeah, yeah, there's some exceptions. A lot of exceptions to the rule. Interesting. So, like, do you give yourself also the ability to sort of tweak things that just don't look good? Like, if your, you know, algorithm spits out a certain point projection for Sidney Crosby and you just think, no, I think he's going to get five more points, do you adjust that or do you just leave it exactly what your algorithm said? I leave it exactly as my algorithm said because I'm not a cheater and that would be cheating. But this spreadsheet is completely editable. So if you do not agree with what I think Crosby will do, you can just change it. And then that's that. You don't even need to listen to me. If you think he gets 90, just click that cell and type nine zero and then you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes it handy. I We did an episode actually just, I think it was last week, where I had a whole bunch of different projectors and all of their different projections for points. And then I was looking at who had like a big standard deviation and you were one of them. And actually that's what I want to ask you about now. I'm, I looked at a bunch of players where you disagreed from the median projection of like I had uh, left wing lock and Cullen and Dauber, like Steve Laidlaw, and uh, McKean's, and yourself. And so we can get into those. Actually, though, one more question I have about your projection. So you're not using anything like the advanced stats. You know, this player had a low on-ice shooting percentage, so that's a good reason to expect him to improve for the next year. Or like someone like TJ Oshie, who had like a really high on-ice shooting percentage last year, and that's why a lot of people think he's not going to do as well next year. You didn't account for anything like that? Uh, I didn't, only because I think that if you use three years, it should stabilize, uh, and you don't need to. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, you thought of everything. Okay, one more question before I get into the specific players. Are there certain players that you would say your model biases more favorably or unfavorably? Like, for example, if someone was to not completely trust your algorithm, where would you say they should target? Like, oh, players like this tend to get undervalued with this model or overvalued. I can't think of any players specifically because I'm literally just looking at their history. Yeah, of course. I mean more like, you know, rookies or veterans or people coming off down years or people coming off good years. I think if you think about young players who look primed to break out and who haven't yet, those players might be ones where you might want to bump it up. Um, I remember a few years ago, I had a very low projection for Ryan Strom, who looked primed to get a big breakout. And then in my draft, I'm like, well, this says... 48 points, but I think he has 60-point upside, so I'm going to reach on Ryan Strom. And what did he do? He got 25 points instead. So <laughs> Was that the year that he got sent to the minors halfway through? I think so. I, I dropped him. That was my big reach. The moral of the story is, is that sometimes your brain is wrong, even if you are smart like me. Right. Well, yeah, well, definitely. I look at some of your projections and like, why did Dom say that? But I'm sure if I were to go back at the end of the year, there's going to be a lot of them where it's like, oh, you know what? He was right. I shouldn't have adjusted it because, of course, I've been going in and tinkering for every player and looking mm -hmm. at all of these projections. And it's sort of like I think that I'm being unbiased now because I'm looking at all the projections and kind of picking the one that I like the best. But of course, then that's putting my own idea of the players. It's obviously going to be with five different projections. One person's going to, you know, have the player higher and one's going to have lower. But OK, here are some players that I found you disagreed with the most in terms of the median projection versus your projections. I want to start in Tampa Bay with Steven Stamkos. 
you actually have him a lot lower than the median projection I saw. You have him at 68.8 points. I also like, by the way, you're the only projection I saw where you go to the one decimal place to give extra precision. <laughs> Everyone else, that's that's handy, you know? Because maybe if someone's saying 65 point, I don't know, are you closer to 64, closer to 66 in the middle? <laughs> you need to know. But okay, so yeah, you have him for like, I guess around 69 points and the median was like 80. Like a lot of the projectors had Steven Stamkos being back to being a point per game guy. I'm curious to know, like, why do you not expect him to be able to bounce back? Is it just because he's been away for injury? I know he had a couple years where he was down before. And I guess now that I'm asking you, why'd you do it? You've just explained exactly why you did it because you just have an algorithm that does it for you. So I guess just in general, just what are your thoughts on Stamkos and this projection? Um, I think it's interesting doing it with your brain and doing it with a model because a model won't know that Stamkos is playing with Nikita Kucherov. And I think that might be a big influence on his points. We saw last year that he was playing at a point-per-game place when they finally got together. Um, at the same time, I think I saw a some power play units the other day, and they weren't on the same power play unit for some reason. I don't know what Tampa does with their power plays, but it was a little weird. So maybe that will that will drop him back down. I have him at 68.8 because that's the level he's been at for the past three years. He's also not as young as he used to be, so we can't just expect him to just get back to the level he was at. Um, the other thing is that because he's been injured, he will be regressed more than another player because his sample size is now smaller from missing all those games. And then I'm curious, a lot of people trying to project these Tampa players, like everyone has Kucherov really high. Stamkos, it is kind of interesting because, you know, in past years, he's been a clear first round pick in any fantasy league, maybe even like top five. Now maybe you'll be able to get him in the second or maybe third round. Another player though on Tampa that has a lot of variability where I'm seeing him getting drafted is Victor Hedman, who was, you know, I guess the number three defenseman in fantasy last year, just behind Carlson and Burns. And he had this breakout 72 point season. I'm curious to know, do you see him as someone worth drafting really high, like in the first round this year of a fantasy draft? Do you think he's going to be able to keep that up? Or do you think that people should expect him to go back to closer to the, you know, 60, 65 point defenseman that he was previously? Was he even a, I feel like he wasn't. The big thing, again, about Tampa's weird power play is that they didn't use Hedman as a number one power play guy until last year. And then what does he do? He gets 72 points. And he, I think he led the league in power play assists or something like that. Like, he's amazing back there. They just didn't use him. He had one of the highest even strength points per 60 per defenseman the past, like, three years. But for some reason, they were using Strawman as their main power play quarterback. And they just always had these, like, weird arrangements. But if Hedman is the number one guy, then he's definitely worth drafting high. I don't know about first round. Well, I guess it goes back to your whole value over replacement thing. Like, mm-hmm. do you think he's a lot better than, let's say, the fourth defenseman in fantasy? And let's say a standard cats, you know, goals, assists, points mainly, shots? Um, the fourth defenseman, if he's healthy, is Latang. He's not healthy, like, ever. So there's a big gap between those four and the next tier, which is probably your Yossi's, Subban, Shattenkirk, Wierenski, those guys. So there's a big, there's a definite first tier and Hedman is there with Burns and Carlson not as good but he's in that tier and if you can get him in the second or third round I think that'd be good um first round probably a bit of a reach though right like you wouldn't be taking let's say Hedman over a Jack Eichel or someone who maybe would be going in that spot definitely not and it I I feel like my projections have Eichel a lot higher than others and if your league counts shots you need to draft Eichel in the first round because this guy gets like he could hit 400 I feel like he could. 
Yeah, and also when he was like third in the league in scoring overall last year after he came back from injury, like for the second half of the season. So yeah, this might be your last chance to get him as not like a top five pick in your draft. Uh, but I think actually defensemen this year might be a little bit similar to goalie. But I guess the thing is you have to roster a lot more defensemen than goalies. But I also see sort of like a couple really elite ones, like you mentioned, like Burns and Carlson and, and Hedman and then Latang if he was healthy. But then there's a whole bunch of guys that I find really hard to project. I see them all being like potential 50 point guys, you know, Wierenski, Shattenkirk, Ristolainen, Bufflin, Ghostbear, Klingberg, like, you know, there's a lot of these guys, so I wonder if you can let some defensemen go fall farther if you just need one of them, but I guess at the same time, why not just get two of them if you can? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I guess let's look at some other players that your projections differ on. I should point out, most of these ones that I'm going to bring up, you're lower than the average projection. Maybe we could get into just like, why do you think that you tend to be lower than the median projection that most other people are coming up with? Is everyone else just overly optimistic about all of these players and they don't realize it? Uh, I don't want to trash any projections because a lot of them put big effort into it and like they're very good. But there is one flaw with a lot of them and that is they do over project. When you're projecting, you always want to be in the middle so that there's room for a worst case and a best case scenario. And if you think about the error level, which is around 10 points, if I project, say, Crosby for 85, then he should be somewhere between 75 and 95, and you shouldn't, like, bat an eyelash. But, I mean, for Crosby, he should be around 90. So 80 to 100 for Crosby is a fine range for him. Other projectors, if they use... If they're not using an algorithm, they will lean towards the higher side of that and that inflates everyone else. And if you look at their projections at the end of the year, their average projections are a lot higher than what actually happens. And my projections are my projections are actually higher than what actually happens, but they're like a lot closer. So, oh, so you're saying that even though you're lower than most people, you're still higher than what ends up actually happening? Yeah. So even though I'm more conservative than everyone else, um, I'm still on the high side. Probably because the goal scoring rate keeps going down. It's hard to predict how much it goes down. But yeah, so based on the last three years, this is what you should expect. And some people will be a lot higher than that. Some people will be a lot lower. It's hard to know which way they'll go. And that's why you have to think about them as a little error house around them. So for Stamkos, he could be an 80-point player, but he could also be a 60-point player depending on his situation because I feel like he hasn't been at that range for like a long time so that's why somewhere around 70 is probably just right for him do you know what i mean yeah i think it makes sense and obviously now that i understand that you're just using the raw numbers from the last three years and just weighting them there's sort of like i can't you can't really argue with you because that's what the numbers say and you're not looking at those years when he was well over above point per game guy because that's over three years ago so if people think that samples can get back to that then you know, that's their prerogative. And obviously a lot of the projectors do, but you're just going to stick with what he's done recently, though he has been injured recently. So maybe he's a tough guy to project. Exactly. And if you think someone is due for a breakout or due for a fall, then you can change it because it's editable. And that's the that's the main thing. If you don't agree with me, I don't care. Follow <laughs> your heart. Change the spreadsheet. Well, yeah, but now we're doing a, a podcast. and We want to get your actual opinions <laughs> of these guys. So like, <laughs> Another guy that now I can understand why you have him lower than most people is Goudreau on Calgary because he sort of did have a down year last year. There was that really rough start at the beginning where both him and Monaghan weren't able to put up points and they sort of bounced back by the end of the year. But you have him down as like 72 points. Do you think that's a good projection for him or do you think he could get back to being closer to an 80-point guy like he was a couple seasons ago? What's the median for Goudreau? I thought that was a fine one. I didn't think that one was that low. Uh, What do other people have? 
I've got a median of 77. I should also point out that for the projections that included a games played projection, so like Scott Cullens, I adjusted mm-hmm. for everyone okay. playing 82 games, just like you have. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I see a 78, a 73, 72. So those are the two ones that you know you would agree with. You're one of them. You're the 72. And then a 77 and an 80. So yeah, I guess that makes the median on the higher end. But yeah, I guess a few people like him closer to 80 and you have him closer to 70. But I think it's reasonable also. Like 80 points for Johnny Gaudreau would definitely be a bit of a surprising year. I think having him in the low 70s is still really good. Like I, I think that's... Like, you'd rather be safe than sorry, right? If you, especially since he had a down year last year, you don't want to reach on him hoping for 82 when it's more likely he gets 70. Like, I don't doubt that he can get 80. I would just rather err on the side of caution, I guess. Because what did he get last year? 70-ish? Around no, there? No, I think less even. Let, here, let me bring that up. Was he in the 60s? Last year, he had 61 points in 72 games, which works out to a 69-point pace. Okay, so just almost 70. Mm-hmm. So he's he was around 70 points. I mean, he did it last year. There's no, and he was like, he was point per game the year before. So I feel like that's a, a good range to be at. He might still not be a, like, there's not that many bonafide point per game players that you can count on them to be that. And I have a lot of guys in the 70 range because I don't fully expect them to just be point per game. They have to prove it year after year. And you see that with Gaudreau because he was a point per game player. But then he stumbled to 70 the year before. And that's the nature of being conservative and not calling someone a point-per-game player until they show it for a long period of time. Yeah, that's fair. So there's another guy that I guess a lot of projectors are seeing as a point-per-game player in Jamie Benn that you have down at 74 points. And he had, I think it was almost a 90-point pace the year he won the Art Ross Trophy. So do you agree with that one also? Do you think Ben is no longer someone you could rely on to be point-per-game? Mid-70s, though, still really good. Um, That one's different because... I don't know how many Stars fans you follow, but if you follow them on Twitter, they would have yelled all season about how Jamie Benn was injured and how that affected his numbers and he wasn't playing 100%. So a model would not know that. So it sees last season as a down year, but his previous two seasons were around 85, 90 points. So it brings him up from his down year, but not back to that range completely. So if you believe last year was an anomaly, then you can comfortably say, yeah, he's still a point per game player and last year was a bad year. If you're using a model, model doesn't know it was an injury-riddled campaign. So it'll just say, well, this is the most recent information on him. I see he used to be much better. We'll bump him up from last year, but not too much. Okay, so for your drafts, you're expecting Ben to be a little better than the 74-point projection that your model spat out? Yeah, just for the injury concerns, yeah, I would definitely move Ben a bit up more. Yeah, I would imagine Oliver ekman Larson also would fall into that category because a lot of people think he was injured for pretty much the majority of last season with that hand injury, though he had a mm-hmm. really great year the year before, so maybe it kind of balances itself out there depending on the weightings. Yeah. So I kind of want to ask now, instead of going through all of my players, I still will, but do you have any other players like Jamie Benn who you think your model might have gotten wrong? I know you said you don't cheat, and the spreadsheet that you're distributing is the one that your model spat out, but if you could cheat, do you have certain players on your mind that you think the model isn't getting right? Um, I would cheat on Crosby, obviously, because of the age adjustment. Also, the fact that the Mike Johnston years are still a little bit in there, and that brings him down. I think he's probably closer to 90. Um, I might bring Patrick Kane down a bit, only because I'm worried how he will play without Artemi Panarin, and I might move Panarin down as well for that reason. Um, those are guys I think about. I'm not too sure about others where... Like, I haven't looked at it that in-depth to know which players I like a lot more than the mall says. Usually I just trust 
what it says. Okay, well, maybe I'll spark you as I go through some of these other players who you're a lot lower than some of the other projectors. Like, one here that jumped out at me is Patrice Bergeron, who you've got at 55 and a half points. The median mm-hmm. was 61, and some people actually had him a lot higher. He had a career-high shots on goal last year, but an eight-year low in scoring pace. And I remember at the start of the year how surprising it was that he was taking so many shots and just nothing was going in. So I was thinking going into this season now, like, Patrice Bergeron, sure, he didn't get as many points, but it was due to such a low shooting percentage at the start of the year for like the first couple of months it seemed like so i would think you'd be getting closer to 60 than 55 uh i think i'd have to agree with that i feel he had a career year the year before i don't know how high his shooting percentage was but yeah last year was a strange season i would still draft him really high only because he gets so many shots and that's the beauty of having projections for a lot of other things but um i think 60 points might be more fair to him but At the same time, his career year was a bit higher than his other two years previously. So maybe he really isn't where he was in his career year. Maybe he is still just a 55-point setter who does everything else perfectly but doesn't get on the score sheet. But on the other hand, he plays with Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, so he's got to get a lot of points from osmosis just being there. So, I mean, yeah, I can see 60. Yeah, and actually, what we've been seeing in preseason so far, and of course, who knows if this is actually how it'll end up, but actually Pasternak's been on the second line, and this guy, Anders Bjork, who I'm going to be honest, and I'll admit, I'm sure Brian had heard of him, but I hadn't heard of him going into this preseason, but apparently he's been playing with Bergeron and Marshawn, so that might be a good potential sleeper, Anders Bjork. And I wouldn't be too concerned about Pasternak, though, like sure, even if he plays on the second line, like he did for a bit of last year with David Krejci, he'd still be on the top power play and still takes a ton of shots. But yeah, Bergeron does have like, he does look like really tough to project because he's gone from he had like 62 points four years ago then 55 68 53 so really bouncing around is he a mm-hmm. 65 point guy or is he a 55 point guy somewhere in the middle <laughs> yeah i guess and you have him as 55 but also that's because you know i'm looking at a four-year spread where it was half and half but since you're only looking at three years so you've only got the one good year and the two not as good years mm-hmm. okay another guy here that jumped out a little bit to me is you had taylor hall down at 60 points and the median was closer to 65 maybe not a huge difference but I, I even saw some people going above 65 since it's the median do you think this is like fair like I know Taylor Hall didn't have a great year last year but I guess New Jersey's brought in Marcus Johansson and they drafted Heashier now Travis Zajac is injured I don't know if that hurts a projection for Taylor Hall but overall do you think Taylor Hall could bounce back to the numbers he was putting up in Edmonton or do you think now that he's on New Jersey that's correct that he's closer to 60 points than 70 uh it's hard to tell I feel like I love Taylor Hall deep down my heart, so I feel like he could be a 70-point player if he wanted to be, but it's just so difficult in New Jersey, especially with that power play, which is terrible. Maybe Marcus Johansson helps that. Maybe they use Damon Severson a bit more than he did last year. Maybe he can get back to it. I just think that seeing him drop down to a 60-point player while he's with New Jersey makes that a safe bet, I guess. Yeah, and you bring up Severson, who you've got projected for like 35 points, which is pretty much fantasy irrelevant in most leagues, especially since he doesn't take that many shots. Do you think there's any chance that he can surprise? Maybe if, you know, they just signed him to this contract, and I think people are expecting him to be the top power play quarterback for most of the season with, you know, now Marcus Johansson. Do you have him as a guy that you expect could maybe be bumped up a little bit? Uh, I definitely have him as a guy with big sleeper potential, especially as a one of the last defense been picked. Um, no one really pays attention to New Jersey, so they wouldn't really know much about Severson, but he is probably the top power play quarterback on the team. 
He's probably the only power play quarterback on the team, and he's still young and developing. And he's got good on-ice stats where he seems like a their best defenseman by far. So I feel like this is a year where he could grow into a bigger role and be their number one defenseman. Yeah, I could see it. I wish he helped with some peripherals, like even some blocks would be nice. But if he could get you some power play points, obviously that makes him at least rosterable, unlike how he was for most of last year. Okay, and since we're in Toronto, let me throw you one more forward that you were low on before maybe we get to some defensemen. Actually, the one guy who I found that you were a lot higher on than everyone else. But okay, I wanted to ask you about Patrick Marlowe, who you have way down 35 points. I'd imagine the age adjustment really hit him hard. And also, obviously, he didn't have a great year last year, but he did have above 35 points. The median projection for him is 45, so it's not as if people are expecting him to be a game-breaker. But at the same time, I think from what I've been seeing, he's going to be getting ice time with Austin Matthews and a decent amount of power play time. So it seems to me like 35 points is low for Patrick Marlowe. I feel like I would look at him more as a half-point-per-game guy at the lowest. Uh, I actually don't mind the Marlowe projection. As someone from Toronto, I'd rather be overly cautious about this old man coming on the team than... Be overly optimistic because he makes so much money. But last year he had 47 points. He had a really high shooting percentage. Um, if he shot his usual amount, he would have been around 35 to 40. That's number one. Number two, he's not going to play with Austin Matthews to start. He's going to be playing with Nazem Kadri and Leo Komarov. So he's going to be in a shutdown role. Um, he's not going to get as much ice time as he did in San Jose because the Leafs have a lot more talented forwards. So that gets bumped down. And the other thing is, is that the Leafs' power play is pretty much a 50-50 split. And Marlowe is used to playing 60 to 65% of the power play time, and that's going to drop his numbers down as well. Okay, these are all really good points, so maybe disregard everything I said before. I don't know, I guess I had old information. I thought I saw something saying Marlowe was going to be playing with Austin Matthews, but you're saying that he's going to be with Kadri on a shutdown line, so obviously that makes a big difference. Okay, the one guy who you have a lot higher than everyone that really jumped out at me is Brock Besser, where the median was really low, 40, and you have him close to 50, 47.6 points. He's one of these guys who he doesn't have a very large sample size. He only had, I think, a handful of games to go on from last season. He did well, for sure. But I'm curious to know if you agree with this projection, if you see him being, I guess, a Calder candidate. If he could get close to 50 points with this year's rookie crop, I feel like he'd be in the consideration for that. Um, he's probably one of the lone bright spots on Vancouver. And it really just depends on the role they give him because he has the talent to get that far. And that's what the model sees from his very small sample size. It's just a matter of will he be allowed to play at that level and who he'll play with. Yeah, that makes sense. It's really hard to project young players like that. Like, same with Clayton Keller and Verana. Like, I like Verana on Washington because I've been seeing that he might be playing on the Ovechkin and Kuznetsov line. But Mm -hmm. who knows? That could change. And same with Brock Besser. But I think at least for Vancouver, like, there's not too many players that Besser has to overtake to get decent ice time. Like, it's not as if they have a huge number of superstar players that have priority over him on the depth chart. Yeah, definitely. But I guess he also needs to have good players to play with in order to get points. I guess it's a a bit of a give and take. Um, Maybe a couple of defensemen I'll throw at you. I see you have Dustin Bufflin a lot lower. The median was 54, which actually seems high to me. I think I'm maybe more with you. I'd imagine the age adjustment comes into effect here. Brian always thinks that Bufflin's decline is like imminent and that whenever it happens, it could be a dramatic drop-off. Do you think this is the year when Bufflin starts to slide? And then I guess the corollary of that would be maybe Jacob Truba <laughs> rises up. Or do you think it's just going to be another year of Bufflin being on the power play, getting a ton of ice time, and just doing what he does? Um, I think the thing to consider is that defensemen 
points are a lot harder to predict. So I think I regress them a lot more than forward points. So that might be why I'm a lot lower with him. I feel like if you look at the average ranking, I probably have Bufflin in the exact same range. I just don't have him as a bonafide 55-point defenseman because the defenseman getting that many points is a really good season and it takes some luck to get there. So to be that overly optimistic is just... Like, I just prefer to be conservative, I guess, with him, especially with Jacob Truba coming up. Yeah, this might be a Ghost Bear Provorov situation that people maybe don't realize. Like, Jacob Truba's clearly really good. Like, he did really well during that end of the year last year. Though I have been seeing that he had a high IPP and that might be cause for him to regress. Or maybe he's just always in on goals when he's on the ice. So I'm really interested to see how things shake out in Winnipeg. You already pointed out about the whole Steve Mason situation and how interesting that is. And if maybe if Winnipeg could have good goaltending, they could actually be a really good team. So a lot of interesting storylines there. Okay, another defenseman I wanted to ask you about is P.K. Subban, who the median is at 53. You have him at 46.7, which is still, you know, really high. I'm curious to know, though, Subban used to be a guy where we would talk about Carlson and Subban as the for sure top offensive defenseman. I guess in Latang, it was sort of like those three. I feel like three years ago, those were the three that we were looking at. And now Subban is quickly dropping down people's rankings as he keeps on having seasons of sub 50-point pace. Do you think he could ever get back to being a 55 to 60-point guy? Do you have any sense of why he's gone down and now he's only being projected at 47 points in your model? Subban was actually one of the toughest players to project um, with my new method of looking at power play time because in Nashville, I have no idea who they're going to put on the top unit between him and Roman Yossi, who's also an elite fantasy option. So those years where Subban was really effective, he was on the power play for like 80% of the time, 75% of the time, just a huge amount, like Carlson. But his first year in Nashville, he was closer to 50. And that's a big reason why his numbers dropped. And that's why I have him only at 47 points. If I bring him up to his usual range, he's a 55-point defenseman. It's just about the power play time, and I'm not sure if Subban is a guarantee to get it. Yeah, I mean, if last year is any indication, it seems like Roman Yosi is their top power play guy and they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. So I feel like they're not, you know, feeling like they need to make any major changes. So I, I agree with your projection. It is kind of sad. I don't know, not sad. I'm sure he's doing fine. He's obviously a really good player and really helping the team. But I just remember we used to see him as a top elite defensive. Someone picked him up in a keeper league like three, four years ago thinking he was going to be their star defenseman in fantasy. That really hasn't worked out. Uh, okay, one more defenseman. I'm really interested in Justin Schultz in Pittsburgh. You've got him super low, like 34 points. The median is a lot higher, 42 points. It's almost as if your projections are assuming that Latang will play all 82 games, which I know your projections don't you know, make assumptions like that, but that's what I would think. Like, I would agree with you that if Latang doesn't play, then Schultz will probably get around like 30 to 35 points as a second power play defenseman, but I just feel like it's almost for sure that Latang's going to be injured, and during that time, Schultz is going to be on the top power play and be able to put up a lot of points. So if you could cheat, would you be bumping Schultz up a little bit, or do you think that people should not be drafting him unless they're looking for a 30 to 35 point defenseman? That one wasn't that was, was the exact same situation as Subban. Um, I had a really hard time determining how much power play time to give him. And last year he was above 50% because Latang was injured. I don't think, like, Latang getting injured is one of the safest bets in hockey, but I just don't feel comfortable making that bet because I just, there's all these times where this guy became injury prone and then suddenly he was not. I remember in the mid-2000s, late-2000s, 
that Justin Williams was the guy that was always injury prone. Don't draft him. He can't stay healthy for 60 games. And now I think recently he had like an Ironman streak or something. and He just kept playing and he was getting 82 games a season. So it's just such a hard thing to predict. And I, I don't want to be that pessimistic about Latang's health because I think he can break through. But at the same time, if he's injured, then Schultz has like 50 point upside. It's just a matter of, do you think he will be injured? And I just don't think that's as safe a bet as other people believe, I guess. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the rare situations in fantasy where normally, like with goalies, some people like the strategy of having a handcuff where, you know, <laughs> if you have both goalies, then if one gets injured, at least you have the backup. I feel like that's like a situation for defensemen. Like if you draft Latang, you might want to draft Schultz just as a handcuff in case Latang gets injured because you're right, Schultz has so much upside if Latang gets injured. One reason to be optimistic, like this is apparently one of the longest stretches that Latang has gone without playing, so maybe that means he's had a lot of time to finally recuperate, and he'll finally be able. Like he's healthy now. Hopefully, it'll last. Okay, and maybe we could end with a couple of goalies. So, actually, I'm interested. So, I'd imagine your projections are somewhat the same in terms of their rate stats. But for when you're projecting goalie wins, are you doing the same thing of just looking at their wins for the past few years, or are you using your game score analysis that you use to rank teams? Um, I am using my um, game score analysis to rank teams, so I see what their win percentage would be with their starting goalie in net and their backup goalie in net, and then I take a random guess at how many games they're going to play, and I multiply their expected win percentage by their games played, and that's how I got wins, and that's why you'll probably notice that my win rankings or my win totals are a lot lower than other people because... When people project wins, they get a little psycho with them. I, I remember last year after Holtby's huge season where he had almost 50 wins, I saw a lot of projections where they projected like the same thing. I'm like, you can't do that. You can't just assume he's going to get another 50-win season because it's very rare for any goalie to do that. And there's no room for error above that. It's You're giving him the best-case scenario. Right, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They were basically giving the highest possible end projection while you like to be, like you said, somewhere in the middle. And then last year, he went back down to 42 wins. I think also with Holtby, that year when he had the 48 wins... He played, well, he played 66 games, and then the next year he played 63. I thought it was going to be a bigger difference. It was actually the year before that. He had 73 games, a Talbot-like number of games played, but he only had 41 wins. Anyway, so, okay, but you have actually one goalie that you have a lot higher than everyone else and one that's a bit lower. So there's two that I wanted to ask you about. Carey Price is on the lower side, so most people have him projected like 37 wins, and you have him for 33 and a half. Is this you thinking that Montreal isn't as good as other people think they'll be? Um, I think that's a games played thing. I think I only have Carey Price for 60, and if I had him for 66 or 68, then he'd be a lot closer to 37, but... Yeah, it sounds like this is one of the rare things in your spreadsheet where you actually did have to just give your opinion for the goalies game played. Yeah, like, the games played, like, I literally just looked at how many starts they had last year, what I expect from the coaching staff to do for starts, like, for Talbot... He started like a all 82 games last year, probably. So I put him at 72 because <laughs> they don't really trust their backup. Same in Toronto with Frederick Anderson for 67. But a guy like Price, where they're where he just came off a major knee injury, they might be a little more conservative about their games played. So I put him around 60. If you if a person thinks he's going to play more, then feel free to change that. But will that affect it? Like if you change your goalie games played? Oh yeah, because I guess you have it as your wins per game on the yeah. in the spreadsheet so you change the goalie games played and everything will update accordingly 
Yeah, actually, let me see where Carey Price would be with a non-60 games played. I think I have him at 62, actually. So 67 would get him to 36 wins, or 36.3. Okay, so that would have him in line with the other projections. So yeah, I guess that's something really hard to project, goalie games played. Plus, that doesn't even take account random injuries that are going to happen. Okay, on the yeah. other side, a goalie that you have has a lot more wins than most of the other projections I saw. You have Craig Anderson on Ottawa getting almost 30 wins, 29.6 wins, while others I've seen were closer to 23 or 24. I feel like other people are just assuming he's going to get injured because he does that a lot. Or are you like really high on Ottawa or do you think this is again just a games played type of thing? I think it's probably the same thing if you check how many games played they have. I think I have Anderson around 60, but not... Let me just find him. Yeah, I'm at 60 games played. So if we bump that down to 50, then he's at 24.6. Right, yeah, Scott Cullen's got him at 44 games played, so yeah, yeah. many fewer games. Like, I don't think they're going to start, I hope they don't start Mike Conan for 40 games. Which team do you think is the most screwed if their starting goalie gets injured for much of the season? You know, like, Jonathan Quick last year got injured in LA, I guess it wasn't that, they didn't make the playoffs, but Budai wasn't, like, disastrous. I feel like in Edmonton you mentioned, and also, like, Frederick Anderson in Toronto, I feel like with Curtis McElhenney as the backup, I'd be very concerned what would happen if... Frederick Anderson got injured. Like, between Edmonton and Toronto, who do you think would be more screwed if their starting goalie got injured? Backup in Edmonton is Laurent Brassois, by the way. So maybe he's good. We haven't really seen him do much. I would probably feel safer with Laurent than I would with McElhenney. McElhenney has a long, lengthy history of being terrible. Right, yeah. I was pretty surprised when Toronto re-upped on McElhenney as their backup when there were still some pretty good options available at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so we've covered a lot of players. This has been awesome. I feel like a really tight interview. We covered so much in, maybe two was a lot of time for me. Like, sometimes we go, like, almost two hours here. But, yeah, thanks so much for joining us, Dom. Uh, Before I let you go, where can everyone find your spreadsheet? And also, you're doing something with the proceeds. You're not even keeping all the proceeds. So can you explain, like, where people can find your spreadsheet and where the proceeds are going? Uh, The spreadsheet is available at fantasyhockeyprojections.wordpress.com. I pulled all the stops to make this website look very average. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so last year when I started this, because all the data is from Corsica, so I thought it'd be a nice gesture to donate some of the money to uh, Manny for all his hard work. And when I mentioned that to him, he's like, donate to someone who needs it more. And I'm like, that's a great idea, Manny. So that's what I did. I I honestly would have given them away for free, but... A lot of people said they'd pay for it, and I figured it'd be a nice way to give to charity. Last year, I donated to two women's shelters because there was a lot of... The big thing with sports last year was domestic violence being a huge issue, so I wanted to use some of that to help. This year, I upped the price a bit so I can get even more money to charity, and there were a lot of hurricanes that have devastated the southern part of the United States, so I want some help there. Um, the women's shelter I gave to last year is in there as well. Um, my favorite hockey player we talked about earlier is P.K. Subban, so I wanted to give something to his foundation as well. And then another charity, the last charity was one that helps underprivileged children play hockey because I grew up playing hockey my whole life and it was a big part of who I am today, so I wanted to help kids who don't have that opportunity get their chance, I guess. Wow, what a, what a guy. And these are, like, really valuable projections, and people could even just don't, like, you know, you're almost, like, buying it to be a good person, and also you're getting these amazing projections. So, what a guy. Definitely, guys, check it out. So, what was it again? Fantasyhockeyprojections.wordpress.com, was it? Yes. 
I remembered it. Okay. And also, of course, you can follow Dom on Twitter at Dom Luchician, or like I said, Google, like maybe Twitter Dom Hockey, and you'll find him or search Dom Hockey on Twitter. I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find him. Uh, awesome follow for charts, win probabilities, lots of good stuff. You can also read him at The Athletic. We talked about your fantastic season preview series, you know, still running, winding towards this conclusion. So everyone should check that out. And yeah, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hope to get you back on sometime. Maybe we could go back and look at which projections ended up being right and wrong and why. Definitely. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dom Luchician. We recorded that interview on Saturday afternoon. It is now Sunday afternoon that I'm recording this outro. A couple quick notes. First of all, I mentioned Oliver Ekman Larson as a guy who you might want to bump up because of his injury last year. Well, he actually has an injury now. We just found out last night that he got injured. We don't know how long he'll be out. So definitely someone to watch if you're going into your draft soon. Maybe bump Alex Goligoski up your draft list if it turns out that Oliver Ekman Larson will be out for a while as maybe he'd get the spot on the top power play. But okay, anyways, I hope you enjoyed that episode. So again, check out KeepingCarlson.com slash patron to get a list of all of the perks. And by the way, it's not www.KeepingCarlson.com slash patron, just KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. We found out that some people put that WW in, Brian included, when he posted links on a couple of the last show notes. So no, for all the links that I say are KeepingCarlson.com slash something, no WWW. Interesting. Fun fact about the internet. You don't always need those Ws. But okay, with that, let's cue the outro music. Normally at this point, Brian would read the credits, but since he's not here... I'll just say thanks again to Dom Luchician. Thanks to Dauber Hockey for presenting our show. Thanks to our patrons. We've got a big show for you next week. It's going to be a weird one. We're going to be live broadcasting the Kakupful Tier 1 auction draft. So it's going to be like a three-plus-hour episode. I'm going to have auction expert Jeff Good joining me, plus the auction participants themselves, including Brian, will jump in throughout the draft to let us know what they think of how it's going. If you want to watch live, keepingcarlson.com slash live. We'll be screen sharing the auction. We'll be following along what's going on. Should be a lot of fun. So that's going to be next Saturday, September 30th, probably starting at around 1245. The auction itself is scheduled to start at 1. So check that out. Thanks again, and we'll catch you at the draft next week. And of course, until then, keep on keeping Carlson.